You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. We've been talking about um, uh, loving our city, being the lighters of the world, and um, kind of been sort of laying the, the, uh, the ground uh, work for it uh, over the last, whatever it's been, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, and uh, beginning today and over the next four weeks or so, probably up until about uh, Thanksgiving, um, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to hear some, from some community leaders, people that are actually working in our community, and each one of them is going to give you some opportunities um, to serve, um, ways that we can plug into, um, uh, people that are uh, doing some amazing things uh, in, our, in our city, in our, in our uh, community, and um, that I can't imagine what Tyler would be like without them. Some of them you may be familiar with, and some of them not as familiar with. And this morning, um, Greg Grubbs here from uh, PATH, and um, I have told him, uh, myself, uh, we have a, a group called uh, Walls to Bridges that meets uh, monthly, and uh, it's a collection of uh, pastors from different backgrounds, different churches. The main thing that we're after is just some dialogue concerning racial issues uh, that are in Tyler, but it's gotten to be so much bigger than that. And Greg's been a part of that. He's been uh, probably from the very beginning um, to uh, participate, but also give us opportunities to serve. And a couple of months ago, we actually went down to the PATH office, uh, and uh, Greg showed us around, showed us you know what the volunteers do and all of that, and I was just amazed. I have been familiar with PATH uh, forever, as long as it's been in existence, just about. Um, and I was a little bit uh, embarrassed that I did not know more about it. And then he stood up to share his story, and it was just so compelling and so um, inspiring um, what, uh, what, what has brought him to the place of being the director of PATH. And so I wanted you to hear from him today. So you're going to hear a little bit about PATH, a little bit about him, and also a little bit about how you can become a part of what PATH is doing. So let's give Greg a good welcome as he comes this morning. So we're going to do this kind of like a dialogue, a little bit like a, a question and answer or a talk show. Um, so I'll ask him a couple of questions that uh, I already know the answers to, and I'm really excited to hear his, uh, his answers. So tell us, um, tell us what is uh, PATH and what, uh, what is PATH's mission? Thanks. Uh, first of all, let me just say I appreciate the opportunity and the honor to be able to come and speak with you all. It's all, always an honor to, be, honor to be able to come before a group uh, in this city who's, who's invested and interested in being more invested in the city, but also uh, especially uh, get a group of believers together and great things always happen. So thank you for allowing me to be here for the invitation, Joe. Um, so <clears throat> PATH is a local organization. Uh, people ask that a lot. Are you some national organization? No, it's not. I told the story in class this morning that 90-year-old Mrs. Windsor decided there was a better way to help people who are struggling in this town, and she called the downtown pastors together, as a 90-year-old woman could do, <laughs> and, and laid down the law and said she would support it 
financially, and she supported it personally for the rest of her life. She was on the board of PATH. They started 34 years ago out of the basement of uh, Christ Episcopal Church, and uh, we're now in the that white stucco building on, on Front Street, 402 West Front Street. Um, our, our mission is to, is to help and empower people to thrive in this community. Um, so, so that's broad, and it's intentionally so. Um, I told the class this morning we help uh, people both with immediate services, uh, 120 families a day walk in the door looking for some kind of help. 20 a day. Wow. Um, still, yeah. And... Um, and the, the amazing thing to me is about 10 of those every day are brand new to PATH. I mean, have never been to PATH before. So it's, it's continuing to happen. There are more and more people struggling. Uh, it, it can happen to anyone, right? The stereotype goes out the door. Um, you know, somebody that you're sitting next to could very likely need some help tomorrow, and I hope you would send them to PATH. Uh, we would try to figure out how to help. Uh, we help with immediate services and also long-term services through our transitional housing program. But it's all local, locally founded, locally funded still. takes $1.4 million a year to do that. Uh, and locally governed. Our board is entirely uh, local community leaders, a diverse group of community leaders uh, who, who help guide us to try to make, make sure we stay relevant, that our services um, or, or what the city and this community, this county really needs. So I did a, um, a uh, poverty simulation a few years ago. I was telling Greg this, and um, it's, uh, it's a real eye-opener. Um, kind of, it's kind of like a little bit of a game that they play, and they give you a scenario. You are like a, maybe a disabled uh, veteran. Uh, you have a certain amount for rent, a certain amount for in, you know, in food, and and stuff like that, and you have to make it work. And they compress all of this into just a few hours uh, of time, uh, and immediately being kind of cast into that role um, really kind of turns your world upside down. The way that we think, and the thing, things that we are doing, and that we count on, all of that is pulled out from under you. But one of the things that we found out after this, and if you do a poverty simulation, erase this from your brain, because uh, it's like kind of the key to the whole thing, um, is realizing that there are um, in, in this room of people that you've got like a banker, you've got a, a lawyer, you've got the court, you've got your job, you've got all of these things you have to figure out. Uh, yeah, short-term yeah, short loan guy, uh, high-interest loans, uh, and things like that, and you're just trying to make the whole thing work. One of the people sitting at a table is in charge of telling you how to make this thing work, telling you what resources are available to you so you're not just like trying to figure it out and nobody tells you that. This is what PATH does, maybe almost better than anything else, is that they do help with the immediate need, but they also say, these people do this, this person does this, you're eligible for this, and they can point you to that, and that is such a godsend. It is, um, it is uh, such a blessing to have an organization that is so connected to so many other uh, nonprofits in Tyler uh, and government agencies that can point people um, to help. Um, so, did you want to add? Something to and, that? and we do it primarily with volunteers. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. We have a trained staff of 14 people, and counting me, and uh, we we couldn't help all those people like that. So we have volunteers. So during a week, we'll have 64 different volunteer shifts and positions to fill, uh, and and we train people. We help them. We give them the tools that they need. We give them the supervision, but 
Uh, it's mainly a volunteer operation. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so tell us how you got involved uh, in PATH. You're the director of PATH, right? I am yeah, the executive okay. director. Yeah, I was hired six years ago. Um, I had been a volunteer for uh, about a 12 years uh, prior to that. Uh, but basically, I'm totally just unqualified for this. So <laughs> it's, um, I'm, I'm an engineer and uh, from the oil and gas business, and you know how, how little those people care about anybody else. <clears throat> so how I wound up as the social services guy and, and leading a, a nonprofit is, is, is only something that God would do. He just put me in this, in this spot. Um, but but I, I felt a call to uh, be... Um, be involved uh, and, and started volunteering. I felt a call to reach out. Uh, I told the class I, it was um, it's something uh, I felt God pulling me toward in, in missions. And so I even started out working in, in a lot with foreign missions and even made a few trips to Africa and Mexico and Honduras and places and just felt like the, the cost and the and the effects of that were, were important and good, but there was an awful lot to be done here at home. And so I found a way to get plugged in here, decided I had a, uh, a privileged baby boomer white Christian background and I could, I could save the world, I could change them. You know, I could just, if people would just find Jesus, they wouldn't be poor anymore. And, and just found that that was wrong. And that's what I would encourage anybody that comes to this that feels like they're called. It's not for everybody, but anybody who feels called to get involved, uh, come with a learner's attitude, with a desire to, to see what God's doing already. There's a lot of good things happening. There are some heroes of faith I'm finding uh, in, in very, very poor financial circumstances. You know, if, if we follow this homeless guy named Jesus, then I, I think we need to reset our sights on just, you know, what our, what our life goals are yeah. at times. That's good. Okay, so tell us how we can get involved individually and as a congregation. So we have those volunteer positions. A lot of congregations will uh, just send uh, people to help. Um, you could start your own food pantry, and a lot of churches do that. You could start, you could have somebody here that, that interviews people in need because I, I assure you that the church staff is getting people come to the door saying, I need help. My car broke down just down the road there. I need help. Um, you, you could try to do all that here, or you could join with so many other churches in this community and say, we can do a better job than that, like Mrs. Windsor did. And, and we'll train people to be good volunteers, and we'll give them guidelines, and, and we'll support them with the budget. So individual volunteers is good. Uh, we have group volunteer opportunities as well. We have 52 homes uh, that are in need of some kind of repair constantly. And so we have groups that uh, work on that, on those homes uh, on the weekends primarily. So for people who work during the week, that's a good opportunity. Uh, we have churches that uh, just support us with a little financial check every month. That's, that's good too. Uh, we hope they're praying for us as well. Um, and, and everything in between, it's, um, uh, the, the, the drives, the individual donation drives, like the Coats for Kids that's happening right now. That's a, we have one almost every season, uh, fans or blankets or coats or 
something like that is a major push. But, but also just the donations for the, the food pantry. In fact, you can save us some money. We don't have to send all our money to the food bank. We can, if you just give uh, donations, especially for goods that the food bank doesn't have. So if people ask, you know, well, what is it that you really need in your food pantry? And say, well, what, I, can, I can get canned food all, all day, every day. That's, I have a great source for that. What I don't have is a source for diapers huh. or baby wipes huh. or toilet paper or shampoo. You know, personal care items and baby items are the things that we almost always need and those, they're not a good source for those, and we'd love to, to get those in the door. I've got, we've got some people now. We've started an uh, Amazon wish list, and so oh, I've great. got yeah. – I had a, actually a volunteer started doing this and then told me about it, and so we said, ah, great idea. We'll push that. Um, she is – she's um, ordering through an Amazon subscription – a few diapers every month and just put it on a recurring subscription cool. and, so, yeah. and having it shipped directly to us. Yeah, great. So she doesn't have to touch it at all, it just shows up. And that, that's great, especially, uh, speaking of diapers, especially the larger size diapers. Uh, for some reason, most of us are, are looking for bargains and so if we go and buy diapers to give away, then, we t well, you can get more of them in the little size ones and size twos, right? More of them in a box. Uh, but the larger size diapers especially. So the donation drives, uh, monetary funds, volunteer time, prayers, all those are desperately needed. Amen, good. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks for coming, and uh, I wanna pray for you, okay, and for Pat. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for my brother Greg. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the uh, journey that you've had him on, Lord, all the many uh, ways that you've, um, Lord, led him and, uh, and uh, discipled him. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just give him favor with people in the community, with churches, Lord, with uh, civic leaders, um, and, uh, and just increase his connection, Lord, to this community. Um, I pray, Lord, that you give him your heart. I know sometimes it, it becomes routine, uh, and sometimes it almost seems like people are a headache, um, but they're people that you love, Lord, and you're giving him the opportunity to minister to them, and I just pray that you'd renew his heart, Lord, every morning, every day, uh, so that he comes, Lord, to the job with a, just a real fresh uh, and encouraged um, output, out, outlook, Lord. Uh, and uh, we just thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness to serve our community. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you'd show us how we can come along beside him uh, and others in this community that are so passionately serving you and serving people uh, to, uh, to lighten the load and to take a little bit of the uh, load ourselves. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it, man. All right. I am uh, going to share this morning quickly. Um, if it gets to be 12 o'clock and you need to go, don't hesitate to, to leave. But the good part is at the end. So if you want to miss out, I'm not going to stop you. Um, so anyway, this, uh, this, this series is uh, You Are the Lighter of the World. Um, Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, God has given us just an incredible opportunity uh, to uh, continue the work that Jesus uh, did, 
You know, when Jesus was, uh, was teaching and, uh, and, um, and ministering in Israel to begin with, he told his disciples, he said, let's move on from here because he said, I got to go through all the different cities uh, in Israel. And if you track what Jesus did, he traveled north to south, east to west. He covered all of the cities of, uh, of Israel, preaching, teaching, healing, uh, ministering, discipling. Um, that's what he was doing for three years. And three years may sound like a a long time, but it's a short amount of time to get that much work done. But see, he was concentrated in one little part of the world. In fact, there were people that were coming to him from outside that part of the world, and he was saying, you know what? I got a limited amount of time, and I'm called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, so I'm going to do this. But when he left, he gave us the privilege and the responsibility to reach all the other cities in the world. So he was preparing us, and he was empowering us, and he was giving us an example of what it looked like, but when he left, he extended that to us. That's what our job is now, is to reach all of the other cities in the world that he was not able to reach while he was here on the earth. So I'm going to tell you a couple of uh, stories this morning. Uh, One is the story that Jesus made up, I'm pretty sure, Uh, and the other one is a Cajun legend uh, that I made up based on that story. Um, So the first one is found in uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, and uh, I'll read it to you and then we'll come back and talk about it briefly. Uh, Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27, and it says, uh, the crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So let me just pause right there. Almost every time I read the scriptures, and certainly every time I study in depth the scriptures, something pops up that I never, never knew before. And this is one of those. The reason why Jesus told this story is because a bunch of people in the crowd were thinking that the kingdom of God was coming immediately. So he told them this story in response to that. Because a lot of times we kind of hear this story taught as um, like a, a stewardship uh, story, which it is. Um, or, you know, like a a faithfulness story, like, you know, character um, story, which it is that as well. But it's to correct the impression that Jesus is coming back immediately and that, you know, basically we're just marking time till he comes back. And what he's telling is a story, and he tells several stories like this, where the master goes away and then the servants are left sort of out of his presence And what do they do with themselves? What does he intend for them to do with themselves? I read on. And he said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. I'm not going to spend any time on that, but that's actually a true story. That happened to Herod uh, uh, Antarchus, I think was his name. One of the Herods um, was, went to Rome to be appointed as a, um, as a ruler over uh, Israel. And people sell, sent a delegation after this guy saying, do not make him king over us. Bad idea, <laughs> really bad idea. But anyway, especially when you're dealing with the Herods because they were bloodthirsty. Anyway, that part of it, when when um, uh, his crowd heard him say that, they knew exactly what he was referring to. 
And Jesus is always kind of jabbing people in power, you know, in the ribs and saying, you know, I know where you're coming from. Anyway, uh, his people hated him, sent a delegation after him, said, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money, and he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king explained, exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little, I, the little that I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of the money and said, Master, I hid your money, and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and investing crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I was a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I don't plant, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank and at least I could have gotten some interest on it? Then turning to the others, he said nearby, who stood nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the, to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Kind of ends on a downer there, you know. That, but uh, this is Jesus' story, and he has a point. He has a reason to say these things. And as I said before, his, the, the thing that prompted him to tell this story, this parable to them, initially was, I don't think it's the only thing that he's, he's after, but initially it's because people were thinking that the kingdom of God was about to come. And what he wanted them to see was, is that he was going to go away for a while, and what God is really interested in is our faithfulness when he's not here. Now, we're a little bit different than them because he's left his Holy Spirit and he's promised us, I will never leave you or forsake you. So in a manner of speaking, he is here. Well, not in a manner of speaking. He is here, but he's not here in the physical form like he was before. He is still, his purposes and his will and his power are still at work, okay? But he's not physically here anymore. When he was physically there, then he was doing all the work. When he leaves, he leaves that work to the servants, but they know that there's more to come. Faithful in little things. The master, when he, when he uh, uh, rewarded his servants, he said, you have been faithful in little things. Sometimes we think money is a big thing. God thinks character is a much bigger thing. Sometimes we think that uh, resources and uh, the stuff that we own uh, is a big thing. And it's not, it's not unimportant. But it's not that big. There are much bigger things at stake that God is after. What we don't have to worry about. First of all, we don't have to worry about why somebody got more than we did, got something different than we did. I can't stand to work with people who are always looking around seeing, is everybody doing their job? You know? Like, uh, there's been times when we, many times, when we have moved people in our congregation you know, unprofessionally, you know, just amateur, just doing it for the love of it. And uh, there's always that one person that just wants to stand around and talk, you know. 
And it's like I'm carrying a heavy refrigerator and he wants to know how my day was. Well, that's nice, you know, but grab a corner and, and do some work, you know. So you don't have to worry about what everybody else has or what everybody else is doing. You have a race to run and you've got a lane to run that race in and nobody can interfere with you. When you stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And you can't blame anybody else. You can't say that he didn't give you enough. He parceled out what he wanted to to the servants that he did and come to find out he was right because the one that got the most did the most with it and the one that got the least did nothing with it. So the master already knows ahead of time sort of what we're capable of and all he wants is faithfulness. Amen? Are you with me on this? All he wants is faithfulness. We don't have to worry about what somebody else has got. We don't have to worry about loss. What this... The, the, um, the, the, uh, the last servant, the one that got the least and did the least with it, what was his motivation? Why did he not do anything with it? Fear. He let fear rule him, okay? Over and over again in the Bible, it says fear not. We're not working without a net. He's got us. All he wants us to do is do the best we can with what we have. Even if that guy who got one had invested it and done hardly anything with it, he wouldn't have gotten, you know, corrected when he got back. The master would have said, you know what, I didn't expect much out of you. I'm glad that you did at least that. But he didn't even do that, did he? He let fear rule him, and so he never stepped out. He never even tried. He never took any initiative whatsoever. That's the sin. That's the failure. That God has given us so many advantages, and yet we still sit back wondering when it's going to happen or, you know, why he hasn't given us more. And we look at other people and we compare our lives to other people. The last one is being left alone. A lot of times when you're left alone, when you are alone, that's the real you. But if Jesus Christ lives in your heart and if the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, you're never alone. You're never alone. These servants were left with something and they are supposed to do something with it while he's gone. But the fact is, is that he has left himself with us. It's not just up to us to decide what to do with it. We have a, we have a, a helper who is constantly telling. We don't have to worry about that, uh, about being left alone. Here's the things that matters. This is the only thing that matters. Faithfulness and love for the master. Greg just told you a story that is a great illustration of this. So Greg wants to serve the Lord, and he's tried several different things, and then this opportunity opens for him to volunteer at a local community, and that's close to his heart. You heard what he said. He said he started out thinking that it was all of this, and as he, as he used initiative and as he exerted himself, he found out that it was this, and he knew what God was calling him to do, and he started to do it. The rest of the story is, is that he had been there for, how long had you been volunteering before you became director? 12 years. So he's been, he's been serving there faithfully for 12 years, and PATH needed to, to appoint a new director. So, I mean, it's a big organization, and it's, you know, it's, um, it's prestigious in Tyler. Everybody that is in leadership in Tyler knows about PATH and respects PATH. So when PATH went to look for a, a new director, they did a nationwide search. They were, they were like looking, you know, all over the country for it, and somebody turned to Greg and just said, why don't you apply for it? And he put it in his application for it, and then he got it. He was the best qualified in the nation 
to do what he was doing. Why? Because he had been faithful in a little thing. He, had, he knew what his lane was, and he was giving it all he had to serve the Lord in that opportunity that God gave him. And that's the reason why the door opened um, for more. The second one is initiative. All that matters is that you take initiative, that you don't sit on it, that you don't, you know, mistake this awesome time that we have together you know, on Sunday morning where we worship together and we love one another and we talk about the richness of the word uh, and all of those things. And don't think that that's church, okay? You have to take initiative based on the things that God is telling you and based on the things that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do in your heart. The next one is honoring him with hard work. The first two guys worked hard. I don't know how they invested it. They apparently knew how to invest and how to work, and how to make this thing happen. Maybe they invested in some rent houses. I don't know. Maybe they bought a bunch of rent houses and renovated them and turned them, you know, flipped them, and, and I don't know what they did. Maybe they bought real estate and turned around and sold it. I don't, I don't know how they, they did it. But they took that money, and they invested it. They put it to work, and they used initiative. They didn't sleep on it. They didn't, they didn't coast. They were working hard to do it. The next one is honoring him with hard work, hard work. Work is not a curse, you guys. Work, work is a blessing. And if you weren't, when you grew up, if you weren't taught the joy of a hard day's work, then you're going to still have to learn it at some point, you know? Because God loves to work shoulder to shoulder with people that love to work. And if you haven't found something that you love to do, that you love to work at, be faithful with where you are and believe that God is going to open a door for you to be able to do it with all your heart. Because it's not the work that matters, it's the willingness to serve him and to honor him with our hard work. And the last one is the expectancy or anticipation of his return. Jesus, again, told several stories about a master leaving a servant in charge. You might remember this one. And so the, he left the servant in charge, and the servant began to beat the rest of the, the um, servants, you know, and abuse them. And I guess he had like a little throne set up in the, in the house somewhere where he was like, you shall come and bow down at my feet and you shall do all of this. He's just a servant. He, he, what is he doing, you know? Is he thinking that the master's not going to return? And when the master returns, there's going to be hell to pay. I mean, we are accountable for those things. It's, it's what you do when you're outside of the master's immediate oversight or immediate sight that really shows what kind of character you have. And so we have to live with an expectancy and an anticipation of his return. But also, um, who was saying it this morning? I think JB was saying how brief the time is. No, was it Mike? Was that what you were saying during your, what, JB? Oh, Caleb, okay. Somebody smarter than me. I'm, I'm here. How brief the time is, how short that like the weeks are that we have, week in and week out and week in and week out, and they just seem to stretch on forever, but they're not going to stretch on forever. There's going to come a day when all of it's going to be in accounting, and the most embarrassing thing is he's already told us ahead of time, so when we stand before him, we can't say, you know what, I didn't know that this was going to happen. We know what's happening, and we want to work with an anticipation that he's coming back. Um. He calls all of this stuff a very little thing. And then when he comes back, he gives them a very big thing. And listen, guys, I don't think he's talking about necessarily after we're dead. Although I do think there is a whole lot more to heaven than what we're thinking. 
If you think sitting on a cloud playing a harp is heaven, I think that's a form of hell for most people. I don't think that's going to be heaven. I think heaven is going to have responsibilities, and it's going to be based on your faithfulness here. I think the stuff that we're doing here, even the small things that we don't even know about, are going to be something that's going to, going to ha- come to bear on what we're going to be doing in heaven and what we're going to be responsible for and all of that. And he's just looking for faithfulness on this side, okay? He calls that a small thing, but he's going to, he wants to give us a bigger thing. If TCF can somehow wheedle our way into this community and become a force to be reckoned with, God is going to bless us individually and as a congregation. Are you ready for that? Do you, de- do you desire that? Because if you desire just, you know, coasting, you can coast. I think it's hard. I think the Holy Spirit is always drawing at us saying, come on, man, there's adventures out here, you know? Let's get out and do it. We'd serve a great God, and he's awesome, and what, what he's calling us to do is going to be awesome. If you want to spend your life just watching, you know, Netflix, you can do that, but I just think it would be hard. I just don't think it's, I don't think that's what he has for us. I think he has something more. And when he finds us faithful at one thing, he gives us more responsibility. So the second story is a, uh, I'm going to need some theme music for this one. Turn it up a little bit. All right, you can turn that a little bit. Don't, yeah, keep it going in the background just to give us the mood. Just on the other side of Appaloosa, there was a wealthy Cajun king, and he had three beautiful daughters. The older daughter was a world traveler, and she'd studied in Europe. She she knew five languages. She listened to classical music, and she attended the biggest fashion shows in New York and Paris. Her father loved her. But she traveled so much, her interests were elsewhere, and he felt very distant from her. The middle daughter was known all over South Louisiana for her big parties, fish fries, pig roasts, crawfish boils, with a big-name band playing music, and she had lots of famous people for friends. Her daddy loved her. But he was very concerned because wherever he, whenever he saw her, she's always needing some more money, which he had, but he was beginning to kind of feel used. Then there was the younger daughter. She was something. You know what that means in Louisiana when they say somebody's something? You know? So it's like she was something, if you're with me. She was something. She was up every morning drinking coffee, eggs and boot, eating eggs and boudin, and then she was out the door into her pickup truck, Zydeco music blasting. She loved to hang out with the kids of her daddy's hired help. Her sisters were very concerned about her. Uh, because of that. She didn't hang out with celebrities too much, and she didn't travel at all. She wore boots and jeans most of the time. Her favorite website was Bass Pro. You get the picture. Her dad loved her. He thought she was a, little, she was a lot like him, but he was concerned about her too, but he thought she was something. Well, a day came when this old Cajun called his three daughters in, and he told them, girls, the oil company I work for is sending me to South America. And I don't know for how long, so I'm going to go, so I, as I'm going away, but before I go, 
I wanted to give each of you something that you can use while I'm away. And he was holding out a big bag, and he told each of the girls to hold out their hands. And to each one, he gave a big handful of rice. He said, I don't know how long I'll be gone, but in the meantime, do something with that and, and to show me when I get back. Well, the older daughter was just real confused. But she thanked her dad, and she kissed him on the cheek, and she said she would miss him. The middle daughter was just plain mad. She took the rice. She glared at her dad. She said, rice? Really? Out of everything you could give us, you gave us a handful of rice? And she stormed out without even saying goodbye. The youngest daughter, though, her eyes were so wide, and she said, oh, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. I know just what to do with this. I'll see you when you get back. Have fun. Well, the old king was gone for seven long years, and finally he came home, and he called his beautiful daughters. But only the older two were on time. But he decided to start anyway. He said, girls, I'm getting old, and I've decided to pass on my fortune to each one of you based on what you've done with the rice that I've given you. Well, the older daughter was, pretty, uh, was feeling pretty good about that time because she had immediately gotten on Pinterest and found a whole bunch of pages of fashion ideas of things you can make with rice. Earrings, necklaces, even a Pandora bracelets. Apparently, she had just signed a contract with Jared's to make gold rice jewelry. Look at all the things that I have made with the rice you gave me. The older daughter, pulled out a Ziploc bag with the rice in it and slid it across the table to her dad and said, here, here's your rice bag. Every single grain, just like you gave it to me, you could have given me gold, you could have given me a house, cars, instead you gave me a handful of rice. That didn't help me at all. I, don't, I didn't do a thing with it. Right then, they heard the front door open and boots come stomping in the front hall and the youngest daughter burst into the room. She had a dusty t-shirt on. Her hair was all a mess under her ball cap, boots with mud all over him, and she ran straight up to her dad with a big, big smile on her face, and she gave him a big hug and said, Daddy, you're home at last. We missed you so much. And he said, Yeah, I miss y'all too. And as he's hugging her, he notices that she's all sweaty, and she has white flecks in her hair and on her shoulders. And he realized it was rice. He said, what have you been doing? He said, is this the rice I gave you? And she stepped back, her eyes wide, and she said, oh, Daddy, you're not going to believe it. Wait till you see. Come on. And she grabbed him by the arm, and she began to drag him toward a big picture window. You got to see this. You won't believe it. And she pulled back the curtains. And her dad looked out the window, and a huge field of rice with three combines going full blast. Rice as far as you, he could see. There's the rice you gave me, Daddy. There's the rice you gave me. Isn't it something? I need that Cajun music.
The Bible says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It may look like a small thing. It may not look like much. I'm amazed sometimes how Christians can look at their lives and they're always wanting more. They're always asking for more. And he's like, I've given you enough. I've given you what you need. The question is, do you love me? And do you love the work that I'm giving you to do? And if you do, do it with all your heart. Nobody's holding you back. He's given us wisdom. He's given us a love for hard work. He's given us grace to be able to deny ourselves. And furthermore, he's given us a great group of people to work shoulder to shoulder with in the harvest. Amen? It's a season for planning right now. It's a season for planning. And if we're faithful in this season, we're going to see an even greater harvest than we've ever seen. And he'll entrust more to our stewardship. He's got a thousand hills full of cattle. What he needs is good stewards. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, and these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The good news is, he wants to increase what he's given us. He's given us enough right now, but he wants to see it grow. That's our job. You figure out a way to make it grow. The master didn't tell them, here's, your, and here's what you need to do with it. He just gave it to them, and they figured it out, right? I mean, we got Google, you know. We got plenty of ways that I don't know how to fix a car. I bet you I could figure it out. There's plenty of ways to work. There's plenty of ways to do it. There's plenty of ways to invest. And right here, right now, this is the time to do it, not at some future time when everything lines up and everything's all together. He's entrusted us for a short period of time. Let's go out and do that, amen? Let's stand together this morning. Okay, I think it's in French, so even if you're saying some bad stuff, don't let that distract you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have entrusted us with uh, such great things, Lord. And I, I thank you, Lord, for your heart um, for this city uh, and for this community of faith right here, Tyler Christian Fellowship. I thank you for your faithfulness to us through the years, Lord. Um, there's just no denying, Lord, that you love us and that you have great purposes for us. And, and Lord, I really want us to be like that younger daughter, Lord, uh, that's more like your heart, Lord. Not worried about appearances, not worried about uh, continually getting stuff from you, but making the most of it, Lord, out of our love for you and our, our confidence, Lord, um, that you're with us and that you're going to bless us as we respond uh, to, the, to the upward call. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that each one of us would have that same enthusiasm, that same sense of adventure, that you're calling us to great things, and just a willingness, a desire, Lord, uh, an urgency um, to respond to that, Lord. I know right here in this group, Lord, that you have been speaking to people about purposes that you have for them. I pray, Lord, if this is the day of small beginnings, that they would be faithful to apply themselves knowing that there's something much bigger coming. But I pray that for all of us, Lord, because glory is ahead of us, Lord, and you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek, 
seek you. I pray, Lord, that that would drive us, drive our hearts, Lord, drive our activities to glorify you in everything that is said and done. And we give you the praise and the glory that is due your name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'm going to send you out with a blessing, okay? Heavenly Father, as these doors open, y'all turn around and face the doors, okay? Do you mind doing that? As these doors open, Lord Jesus, we're saying that's a big wide world out there, and you're out there, Lord, just as much as you're in here. Send us forth, Lord, with expectancy. Send us forth, Lord, even today, even if we go to a restaurant or uh, if we gather with our families or whatever we're doing, that we're entering into that time with an expectancy, knowing that God is there, that you are there, that you are doing things, and that you're giving us the privilege of being able to touch lives uh, with, the, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Send us forth. Kick us out of this place, Lord. Thrust us forth into the harvest. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would return uh, rejoicing uh, in the harvest that you've given us the privilege of being able to work in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.